I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCE became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Good Nix is an audio project exploring the journey and meaning of doing good in the world for people who do good or who are just thinking about it. Good Nix spotlights 10 people. We dig into who and what inspired them, what keeps them up at night, their sacrifices, their rewards, their failures, and what it means for their relationships. Hear about how Max founded a New Orleans center that is redefining recycling. Hear about Deborah, a social worker and psychotherapist who works with indigenous families in Los Angeles at the Department of Mental Health. Hear about David, the founder of Together We Remember, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering the next generation of leaders to say never again to genocide. Good Nix is available wherever you get your podcasts. Follow and subscribe now so you don't miss it. Visit goodnix.org to learn more about the Good Nix. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hi, Metaphysical Milkshakers. It's Rain and Reza, and we are here to tell you about Season 2 of Metaphysical Milkshake. That's right. Season 2 is going to be bigger, better, and more milkshakily delicious, if that's a word, than Season 1. Here's what you can expect. We're going to take a little break to work on season two. But we don't want to leave your beautiful ear holes empty, so we are releasing some of our favorite only ever heard before behind a paywall episodes that we've ever recorded. There's some doozies. That's right. You'll get episodes each week revisiting some of the amazing guests we had when we first started potting together. Some of the guests that you've never heard from, like, for instance, Ibu Patel, the head of the Interfaith Youth Corps in Chicago. We got another episode in which Rain Wilson goes to Greenland. Yeah, I had an incredible experience a couple years back going up to Greenland to do a piece for Soul Pancake on climate change. Got to interview... Uh, Dr. David Hick and Dr. Gail Whiteman about climate change from the front lines of climate change on the edge of a glacier in Greenland. It was our first remote episode. That's right. You could actually watch the seas rise yep. <laughs> as you were there. Then we'll be back this summer with season two. And guess what? We're not skimping on the guests, folks. We have Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey. You might remember them from The Office. The Office, I assume that's a TV show or something. Oh, yes, it is, Reza. I'll fill you in later. We're also talking to Tyler Henry, everyone's favorite medium. He talks to dead people. And Will Wheaton, which I'm like, my chest is actually a flutter just thinking about having a chance to talk to Will Wheaton for all of you Trekkers. Better show up for that episode. King of the nerds. King and of the speaking nerds. of nerds, we've also got Weird Al Yankovic. No! Yes, yes, Weird Al, that's right. I just appeared in his biopic movie playing Dr. Demento. 
his mentor. We've got Adam Savage coming on the show to chat with us. And so many more. So if you're not already following us on your favorite podcast app, hit follow now. Or you can subscribe on our YouTube page so you do not miss the brand new bigger and better season two of metaphysical milkshake also follow us on instagram at metaphysical milkshake and in the meantime enjoy some of our favorite episodes starting next week to get you through So, Rain, um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but we are the most religiously diverse nation in the world. Something I, something we're pretty proud of. I hadn't even heard that before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, pretty much every religion known to man yep. has a foothold here in the U.S. We're we, got, also, uh, we got Zoroastrians here. We got Zoroastrians here. We have Jains here. We here? got Jains. I, I, I married a, a Jain couple not that long ago. Oh, you, you know. married them. You didn't literally. You married them. You you were the officiant. Just, I don't, let's not mention anything like that to my wife just okay. yet. But yes, right. yes, I was the officiate. Um, we got Mormons, Scientologists. We got it all. We got it all. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that. Yeah. We're probably the most religious country in the developed world. It's hard to think of a, of a you know a, a developed nation yeah. that's uh, more religious than us. That that we not only um, allow for religion in the public realm, we actually encourage it. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we give tax breaks to any religion to right. do any kind of function. There's literally entire segments. Uh, of social work that the government has basically given up uh, because they want religious and groups. And farmed to out to religious groups. Yeah. And, I mean, religion certainly is the the language uh, of politics. I mean, imagine, wow. you know, somebody not being able to speak that, that language, even when you're faking it, like Trump does. Uh, yeah. You still have to speak it. And people in Europe can get elected as atheists. Oh, yeah. They will run and just say, I don't really believe in God. I don't know about that. And they're, uh, they'll that, win by a landslide. That shit does not happen That's here. That's not going to happen here. You know, you've got to have even the ultra left secular folk will need to talk about the importance of God and prayer and yeah. church in their lives. But I guess here's here's where the conflict lies, right, is, is in the intersection of those two things. Yeah. On the one hand. A million different religions, mm-hmm. everybody worshiping their own God, everybody with their own ideas and rituals and practices and myths, etc., mm-hmm. coupled with a country that is, well, let's face it, devoutly Christian, yeah. Protestant, mm-hmm. 71% of Americans identify uh, as Christian, seven out of 10 of us, if you can believe that. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a country that constantly talks about, you know, the the founding fathers and the faith and the embedding, you know, God into uh, the culture and 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 the government and our founding documents. What happens when those two things clash, which they often do, right? Can you coexist with people that you think are damned and are going to burn in hell? And and how? How would you do it, right? I mean, if you got two or three people. And they're in a room and each one thinks the other person's, you know, wrong and, and yeah, and it's going to burn in hell. And yet you are forced to live and thrive and help create a functioning, diverse, pluralistic 
democratic society, how do you do that? What do you do? Well, a friend of ours, Ibu Patel, Chicago-based, founder of Interfaith Youth Corps, has a a kind of idea about this. And it's a really innovative idea when you think about it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I went to an interfaith meeting once and I was given an award for some reason. I don't know. I think they kind of knew, oh, that guy's a Baha'i. He likes to talk about faith and spirituality sometimes. and I bet he'll show up. Um, so I went and had like a filet mignon, bad overcooked filet mignon dinner at some, you know, Marina del Rey oceanfront steakhouse. And it was you know, very diverse but old. Everyone was in their mid-late 60s and patting each other on the back and a Hindu here and a Muslim there and a, a Sikh there. And it was pretty lame. And the more I find out about what Ibu Patel does with his Interfaith Youth Corps, it's young, it's active, it's service-oriented, it's action-oriented, it's getting into the communities, it's putting these kind of interfaith beliefs into real action. Um, it's it's really exciting what I've learned about what he does. Yeah, and it's uh, there's something really sort of simple and yet profound about it, right? What's okay. that? We all come from different religions. We all believe, uh, you know, different things. Our mythologies are different. Our, our rituals and our practices are different. We look at each other as maybe saved or damned. We're never going to get past that. So this, mm-hmm. I, you know, instead of like sitting around trying to figure out a way to kind of get past those differences, just get the fuck out of the room. There's work to be done. Yeah. Just leave the room and go outside. Roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves. Build the country that you want to build. And that's where religious diversity can become a powerful tool Celebr- instead of a dividing tool. Celebrate this diversity. Celebrate the fact that we're the most religiously diverse nation on the earth. And celebrate the fact that we're the most religious nation on the earth as well. And, and get to work. Ibu Patel is an Ismaili Muslim and former faith advisor to Barack Obama. He's got an amazing book, Out of Many Faiths, Religious Diversity, and the American Promise. Let's hear what Ibu's got to say. Your friend, my friend, Ibu Patel. So I am thrilled to be here. My name is Ibu Patel. I am the founder and president of an organization called Interfaith Youth Corps, or IFYC. We work on college campuses, uh, viewing them as laboratories and launching pads for interfaith cooperation. We think that uh, religious diversity is one of the great gifts and challenges that America and, frankly, many nations in the world face right now. And the question is, how do you take religious diversity uh, and help it become a healthy and positive pluralism. Reza, I think we could just end the podcast right here. I think it's done, yeah. I think. Thanks. That's my sonorous voice. Knows. Thank you that so was much, Ibu. It was great to have we you on the show. We got exactly what we needed. <laughs> the reason that Rain and I love what you do is because what you want to do is get these people of different religions together um, and to get them to move beyond their differences and focus on their commonality by putting them to work, right? Uh, you, you once said uh, something to the effect of, these are people who have a, a completely different idea of who gets into heaven, but they pretty much have the same idea about uh, how to fix the earth. And so let's just forget about heaven for a minute and let's focus on the earth because then we can, you know, harness them. And I think that's a beautiful idea, but it doesn't change the fact that each one of them thinks the other person's going to hell, right? 
Right. And uh, when that comes up, I have to gently remind people that they don't control it anyway. <laughs> so they, it's not that that's not important. It's that part of the definition of diversity, I think, is being willing to disagree on some fundamental things and work together on others. And I'd say the the one amendment that I would make to your description of of at least IFYC's work is you don't have to invent the civic involvement of religious communities in American life. Religious communities play such a massive role in American civil society that it's like William Carlos Williams' red wheelbarrow. So much depends on it, but you just don't notice it most of the time because it's taken for granted. There was a New York Times story uh, like 18 months ago about the city of Mostar in Bosnia-Herzegovina, and it starts by saying, when, uh, you know, Mustafa, who's a firefighter in Mostar, hears that there's a fire on the Catholic side of town, he knows that he doesn't have to go because his Muslim fire department only fights fires in the Muslim side of town. And it kind of goes through all of the different institutions of Mostar, from the garbage dump to the nightclubs to the schools to the soccer leagues, and they are all separated between Serbian Orthodox Christians, Croatian Catholics, and Bosnian Muslims. And this isn't a city in hot conflict, right? And so the big point that I'm making is that the fact that we live in a country in which it is just normal to walk into a hospital. I mean, I think when, you know, when Zaid was born, my oldest child, I think I counted uh, of the various like pediatricians and and nurses and doctors delivering the baby. I think there were people from six different religions who over the course of 24 hours were involved in Zaid's birth. And that's just like standard operating procedure at Northwestern Memorial Hospital so you're in saying Chicago. This is something really interesting and special about the United States specifically that in other areas of the world you wouldn't have this kind of necessarily uh, such a richly textured interreligious uh, cooperation. In other areas of the world it I think it is let me put it this way. I think it is part of the American genius that one of the ways religious communities express their identities is by building civic institutions, schools, colleges, hospitals, social service agencies that explicitly welcome and serve people of a range of different religious identities. And the kind of effort of IFYC or the pragmatic dimension of what we do is to say the more we can bridge how these different religious communities act together within their civic context, the stronger our democracy is, the more people get fed, the better a disaster relief effort goes, the better a hospital runs, et cetera, et cetera. The religious diversity is already present. The vast majority of the time, it's already engaged in what I would call civic work, right? The kind of stuff that most people, left, right, center, Trump supporter, whatever, can generally agree that healthcare education, social services, recreation, the kind of stuff that religious communities built in America, that that infrastructure is really positive. Uh, How do you do it better in a religiously diverse country? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, attachment, fatigue. Jesus, I have all of these, Rain. I think you need some better help, Reza. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. And um, it's such an important part of my life. Um, therapy, I, I, 
I messed up, Reza, I am. I messed up, I had a crazy childhood, there was a lot of trauma, I don't have all the tools to function in the world. Gee, in case you couldn't have guessed. And places like BetterHelp are just fantastic. You really should check out therapy. This is a great way to start your therapeutic process or to continue it. It's customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Metaphysical Milkshake listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash milkshake. That's betterhelp.com slash milkshake. Hey, Rain, I know uh, we did this last time and it's just, I swear to God, purely a coincidence, but I am once again wearing my Buck Mason shirt. I am too. Wearing a little Buck Mason. Got it going on. We all we all have like that favorite, you know, go-to shirt, right? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Your favorite sweater, your favorite jeans, your favorite shirts, stuff you wear all the time. Well, guess what? All of mine are Buck Mason. They're pretty fantastic. I end up wearing them all the time. They're timeless. They never go out of style. Everything they sent me just fits great right out of the box. Becomes my new favorite item of clothing right from the get-go. Buck Mason makes all the essentials uh, jeans, shirts, jackets, all my go-tos, so much more. I love the tailored look and fit of their t-shirts. Even after wearing them and putting them through the wash time after time, they look just as good as when I first wore them. The curved hem tee, Reza, did you try the curved hem tee? I got two of them. It's fantastic. GQ loves it as much as we do, calling it the best t-shirt in the game. Once you try Buck Mason, they'll become your go-tos too. Head over to buckmason.com slash milkshake and get a free t-shirt with your first order. That's B-U-C-K-M-A-S-O-N.com slash milkshake to get a free t-shirt with your first order. Buckmason.com slash milkshake. Here's, I guess, where my frustration lies is that, you know, I've kind of had it with interfaith dialogue a little bit. You know, this idea that, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we'll get a bunch of people from different religions together. We'll sit them in a in a room together and then they'll just all talk. Um, and then just in talking, they'll find out how much they all have in common with each other. And then they will, it'll just be a love fest. And that tends to not be what happens. What ends up happening is that people um, fall into sort of the, the traps laid by their own doctrine and their own theology. And it seems like what you're sort of saying is, okay, get out of the room, get, get off the chair and go clean the streets together, go feed the hungry together. Cause you're not going to agree on which of you is going to heaven and which of you is going to hell, but you all agree that hungry people should be fed. Like that's not, that's not up for argument here, right? So let's just go do that. There's a great line by Dorothy Day. Uh, she says, I want to build spaces where it is easier for people to be good. And I think that kind of our version of that line at IFYC would be, I want to build spaces where it is easier for people to cooperate. Now, the beautiful thing is those spaces already exist. You just have to put the title cooperation on them. So at the Chicago Food Depository, they asked me to come in and to help them answer the question, Given that our most successful lobbying days in Springfield are church and synagogue and mosque day, what does it look like to do an interfaith day? 
And what they are very reasonably concerned about is will the commonality of advocating for more robust hunger and homelessness programs be drowned out by the differences in theology and politics amongst these groups. Mm. And I would say that the person and the reason that they haven't organized Interfaith Day in Springfield is because they're not confident they have the interfaith skills to do that, which is to say the skills to de-emphasize the really important differences and to emphasize the dimension of civic cooperation, right? And when I heard that story, I thought to myself, there is some version of that that's happening in civic institutions across the board. Somebody is thinking to themselves, you know what, if we could get the doctors in this hospital together and do grand rounds on religion, spirituality, and health, it would really help us from everything from like what you do, what what families want done when a baby is born, to literally what's the definition of death. But we think that doing grand rounds on that is going to bring up a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of of theological disagreements and political disagreements that we just don't want to deal with that. So they don't do it. So we have this tapestry in the United States of interreligiousness in hospitals and charity and whatnot, and people not necessarily getting in each other's way, accepting a Muslim patient at a Catholic or Protestant or Presbyterian hospital, let's say, or at university or whatever. How do we go to the next level? How does interfaith work take things to the next level? Because isn't that where we need to go, where it's not just kind of like, oh, we're kind of shoulder to shoulder and we're not going to turn anyone away. But how do these different faiths and their institutions um, activate their faith into into greater action and greater cooperation? Do you have specific examples of stuff that you have seen where they have actually come together in a, in a much more proactive way to take on a, a larger problem with uh, efficacy? The whole point that I'm making is that we have these really special spaces in America where people who orient around religion differently already come together. What does it look like to develop the language and the skills to engage the religious diversity in a way that gives you a better chance at cooperation? And I think disaster relief is the single best example, right? So you, if you could get the synagogue to be churning out a thousand meals a day out of its kitchen— and you could get the mosque to serve as a shelter, and you could get the church to be doing door-to-door checks. If you could coordinate that together, right, instead of each of those groups doing their own thing, that actually takes, I think, a lot more than literacy. That takes a real comfort with talking to the leadership of those different institutions and telling them, listen, the synagogue is doing this, the mosque is doing that, and the church is going to be doing this other thing. And you are all in this kind of holy, sacred, disaster relief assembly line, and you're going to have to have good communication with each other around this, right? So, And whoever so serves the most people goes to heaven. That's the right religion. I'm actually it's for that. It's a big that. competition. I'm actually for that. <laughs> That's actually Quranic, right? That there's a, there's a the kind of a Muslim notion of competing in righteousness. Well, I win. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think the subtle but important paradigm shift we are trying to affect in interfaith work is go where the money is, where diverse religious people are already engaged in social action. And it's like the ingredients are in the kitchen, right? You have to put them in the same pot. What about um, 
atheists. I mean, uh, you know this, uh, or not just atheists, but people who refuse to apply any particular religious I- identification to them, uh, the so-called nons. They're the fastest growing movement, certainly among kids. W- what's their role? What are people, those without faith or those without a religious label, what role do they fit in this, in this holy diversity that you're um, constructing? They have a seat at the table like anybody else does. Part of what we do at IFYC is we have, you know, uh, examples of faith heroes at, at all of our tables. And several of them we are deliberate about are people who are secular humanists or who are avowedly of no faith. A. Philip Randolph is a good example of of a picture that we would have at one of our tables. So, so in our view, they're very much equal participants. And that should absolutely be taken into account uh, in however we understand the next chapter of American history. Mm-hmm. I just want to jump in here because I think there's something here that that we're all trying to get at, which is like, what what is the larger point? Like, I think you mentioned earlier about there's a, a holiness actually to doing this work together. Can you talk about that a little bit? So, I'll, I'll tell a uh, I'll tell a story from from Islam. So, I think that it is of great significance that the first person who recognizes the the prophethood of this you know orphan boy who becomes a merchant in the city of mecca and who used to spend uh the month of ramadan praying and giving alms to the poor uh the first person to recognize that when a force grips him on the cave of mount hira in the year 610 and forces him to recite in the name of the of your lord who created that that man was named waraka and he was probably a Christian monk, that it was a Christian monk who first recognizes the prophethood of Muhammad, right? And what I gained from that story and lots of other Muslim stories is that there is virtually a requirement, a command within the tradition to have a beautiful, trusting relationship with people from other religions, that it is not only pragmatic that when a Hindu and a a Muslim doctor perform a surgery together, they are in effect reenacting the sacred ritual of recognizing the others, uh, the deepest parts of their soul in the action of healing a patient together, right? Um, And there are, you know, one of my favorite pieces of literature is Father Dean Attar's uh, Conference of the Birds. And it's this story of every species on the planet recognizing that they had a a king or a representation of God, uh, but the birds being so sad that they didn't have one. And the hoopoe bird stands up and says, actually, we do have one. It's called the the Great Samurg. And he convinces this diverse array of birds to go on this massive journey across seven mountains and valleys to to meet with the Great Samurg. And, And when they finally get there, what they see is a reflection of themselves in a shimmering mirror. And for me, the fundamental lesson of that story is that when a diverse group makes a journey together, it becomes a community, and that is a reflection of God. That is sacred, right? And I think that that's the project we're embarked on in the United States. I, you know, we're the first nation to believe that people from different religions could come together and build a country. That is a massive thing, right? Political philosophers from the Greeks until the time of the United States, thought it was impossible. Rousseau famously says, you cannot live with one who you think is damned. And Jefferson and Adams and Madison and Franklin and Washington, and for all of their sins and mistakes and they are legion, 
they thought you could. They thought that you could build a religiously diverse democracy. And I think that one of the most inspiring things about America is how we continue to build on that, right? So so the 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 Judeo-Christian idea uh, or phrase wasn't etched on Plymouth Rock when the pilgrims ar- uh, arrived. It was a response by a group of interfaith leaders called the NCCJ in the 1930s, uh, a response by them to the ugliness of KKK, anti-Semitism, anti-Catholicism and racism in the 1920s. They literally just made up a word, Judeo-Christian. They said, we're no longer a Protestant country. We're a Judeo-Christian country. That doesn't make any theological sense because it's not like, you know, Jews consider Jesus central at all. And it's not historically accurate because it's not like Jews fared that well in Christian countries for most of human history. But it's a brilliant civic invention. And we're on the brink of that right now. We're Right, Judeo-Christian did important work for 80 years, and a lot of people I know like to dismiss it. But think, think to yourself: Would you rather have been a Jew in America in 1985 or in 1925? And one of the reasons it was a lot better to be a Jew in 1985 was because America absorbs this idea of a Judeo-Christian nation, which, like, literally 80 years ago, people just made up. But now they we need a new word. It. Ibu, we need some. Now we need a new word. We need a new word. Judeo Muslim Christian Baha'i Buddhist uh, pagan. What is it? That's going to be you guys in the next episode. Maybe our listeners need to come up with what this new word is. It's no longer Judeo Christian, which doesn't apply. I love that that was made up in the 30s as a response to this racist organization. And we see so much kind of racist tinge disunity, especially in a lot of Protestant groups these days. We need that new word that new word that takes us through the next century. Milkshakers, public goods. Remember that name. It's the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from personal care and household products to coffee, toilet paper, shampoo, pet food, so much more. Public goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, public good members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Here's how it works. Public goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. Uh, Like, for instance, I got a box full of cleaning supplies, like hand soap, uh, dish soap, uh, you know, counter cleaning uh, supplies, all of that stuff, because I've basically do all the cleaning in my household. And uh, everything was all natural. Everything was in sustainable um, products and, and packaging. Uh, you know, it, it I, I still use it all the time, like all over my house or all these like public goods cleaning products everywhere. It's fantastic. Public Goods is committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything bagel. No, everything store. We have worked out an awesome deal, folks. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. By the way, I just used their olive oil today on my salad. It was delicious. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash milkshake or use code milkshake at 
checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash milkshake to receive $15 off your first order. Okay, it's lightning round time. Here we go. Ready? Yep. Okay. When do you feel most connected with the universe? Uh, when I wake up early in the morning, say my Ismaili Muslim prayers, have five or ten minutes of silent meditation, and then have a nice iced coffee. Describe your soul. Cold brew. Cold brew, just to be precise. <laughs> <laughs> Stumptown. Um, describe your soul in ten words or less. Connected to God, trying to be cleaner. Who is your hero? Jane Adams. What do you hate? Self-righteousness. What brings you joy? Pensive white people's music. <laughs> like the like is that Wilco Radiohead? This is Wilk, that's exactly the, the, the funny thing basically is, our favorite I, I yeah. bands, bands, our two favorite that's bands, right. Wilco and Radiohead. Let's all get together, hold hands in our Andrew religious Bird, diversity. The dead. Uh, yep. And listen to Mark sad white dudes in their 40s. What do you want your final meal to be? Probably a masala dosa. What do you want your deathbed to look like? Fuck, seriously, Ray? Wow, I, I hit mean, a nerve. Really? I hit a nerve. I mean, you couldn't have just ended it with final meal? What, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> Covered with flowers? I don't oh, that's know. That's beautiful. I love that. We I want to see you covered in... We did a whole episode what on death. What did Reza say about it? Did Reza say littered with virgins? That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I said, yes. I, I want to be buried uh, beneath a pile of virgins. Um, and finally, what is your life's big question? I think his life's big question is about that deathbed. Yeah, I think that, that's <laughs> I think what we, I think. About Reza's think. deathbed. <laughs> it's a combination of the two. No, go ahead. What is your life's big question? How do you build a healthy, religiously diverse democracy and make sure that it's holy? Ibu Patel, thank you so much for putting up with us. It was great to be with you. Listening to Ibu, it reminds me of um, my favorite verse of the Bible. It comes from the epistle of James. Uh, James, who was literally the flesh and blood brother of Jesus. And uh, people know this. It's a, it's a very famous line, but uh, they don't know who said it. Faith without works is dead. Yeah. Faith without works is dead. And... Look, you, you know, I, I, I vacillate between optimistic and pessimistic, between, you know, oh, th this country is so beautiful in its diversity and this motherfucking racist country. And, you know, let's face it, we're at a time right now with a lot of conflicts, uh, manufactured conflicts between religions, a lot of religious bigotry. Uh, and so... I think about the diversity of this country and I'm in one of those moods where I don't see it as a strength. I see it as a source of conflict. But maybe this is maybe it's in that line from James. Right. Maybe that's where the answer is. Faith without works is dead. So fuck your faith. Forget about 
you know, whether you believe in Jesus or whether you worship Allah or whether you follow uh, the Buddha or whatever. And instead, let's just all put whatever it is that we believe into action and that's where our solidarity comes from. So that that question that Ibu asks, can we create a religiously diverse democracy in America? The answer is yes if we work together. We work. Yeah. And exactly. we work together. Together. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean that that phrase, that saying from James is at the center of one of the greatest theological debates in the history of the Christian church, of course, because Paul, I don't know what verse, but what people gleaned from Paul, and pay, Paul may not have even meant this, but he is interpreted as being, well, you don't need to do works. Mm-hmm. You can just believe in Jesus. If you just give your heart to Jesus, you get baptized. Uh, you say, Jesus, take away my sins. Uh, I'm yours. That's take me takes. away. Um, Calgon. Nothing you can do to earn yes. salvation. You can't earn it. Yes, there's nothing you do. It's only in the in the act of seeking grace that you're redeemed. Uh, so those two things are really at odds. They really are. And I would say it's that Paul idea, which is so often the one that I think keeps us um, in conflict with each other, right? Because if you think that all you need is faith, then... It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you have in common with other people. You can be an asshole your whole life. Yeah. Ask for forgiveness. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. And you go up to heaven. Yeah. So. And and my faith is the right one. Your faith is the wrong one. Does it sound like we're dissing on Christians right now? I don't want. We're not dissing on Christians. I don't want Christians to be listening to this and going like those assholes. I guess we're dissing on Paul. (laughs) 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 Fuck that guy. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, maybe this is the answer. Maybe it's uh, we got to stop talking about the beliefs that we have in common with each other and the we all in the end worship the same god i mean i believe all that stuff i think it's true i just don't think it's very effective because when you say to some people hey we all worship the same god they say no we don't no i worship god you worship the devil but if i say to that person uh do you think hungry people should be fed do you think homeless people should be housed? I mean, well, we can matter which God you believe in. You probably agree with those statements, right? Well, Ibu referenced uh, the fact of people coming together in disasters and emergencies. And people came together during 9-11. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, anti-Muslim uh, rhetoric out there. But at the same time, there was also a great deal of people reaching out to Muslim communities and Christian and Muslim communities coming together and Jewish ones, too. I just think we need to do it beyond the scope of disasters and emergencies or rather shift our thinking to the fact that we're in a constant disaster and emergency. We're in an age of Mm. uh, incredible amounts of suicide. There's mass shootings all the time. We've got an immigration crisis. We've got a climate crisis that's that's out of control, a political system that's deadlocked. We're in the disaster right now. Yeah. We're living day by day, week by week, year by year in a disaster zone. So just the same way that people pitch together during uh, the Haitian earthquake or Hurricane Katrina, we have to do that on a daily basis, people of all faiths. Put away the differences. Focus on the things that we have in common, which is putting our values into practice. 
It's and a I, beautiful thought. And I suppose if you're in a faith community, you can contact the Interfaith Youth Corps and yeah. find out some effective, handy ways to do that. I don't know. Or, alternatively, you could contact us. What? <laughs> transition? That is a good transition. Of the century. Thank you. Wow. Uh, you can find us on, on our socials, at Reza Aslan, at Rain Wilson. Make sure to use the hashtag metaphysical. And I don't know, like, tell me, which which Reza Aslan do you associate with? The Reza Aslan who's like, you know, well, we're, all, we're all just going to eat each other, which I am on, like, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Or the Reza Aslan <laughs> that's like, you know what? We can come together, focus on the things that we hold in common, put those values in action, and there's your there's your religiously diverse democracy. You know, I think pessimism is a soul killer. I think it's so easy to fall into. It's an easy fallout. I think the world kind of wants you pessimistic. Optimism is hard and requires kind of more work. And uh, I I like the optimistic Reza better. And I – but I have the same struggle. I have the same – I'm not above that in any way, shape or form. But there's some other questions that I want to ask our audience, too. You know, we talked about Judeo-Christian being this invented word. What's the new word that takes us through the next century um, of diversity, religious diversity in this in this country? And, and also, what is the holiness of interfaith? What is the holiness of diversity? Where is that spiritual element that goes beyond and through those words. Yeah, is it a sacred enterprise? Is it a holy enterprise? Yeah. And how do we take that feeling into action? So many questions brought up by this episode. Again, at Reza Aslan, at Rain Wilson, hashtag metaphysical. And you can email Reza at his personal email, which is (laughs) reza.assman at (laughs) aol.com. Please don't email me at assman. At you know what? Just text him at one three one zero. Thank you again to our guest, Ibu Patel. Ibu, keep fighting the good fight, man. See you next time. So long. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Metaphysical Milkshake is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradwell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Shelby Sandlin. Original music by Jeff Tang and Scott Tang. Talk about diversity. Look at the diversity of names that we've had on this friggin' podcast. It's crazy. We just had Ibu, Alua, Gotham, Anand, Aijen, and Varun. Amy, what's your Korean name? Sunju. Sunju? Beautiful and smart. Sunju. I love that name. That's a great name. You should, I like that. By the way, why are you named Amy then? When um, my parents immigrated to the U.S., my mom was working as a nurse and adapting to English, and she just could not handle all of the complicated, hard spellings of her patient's names. So she named her two daughters the easiest English names that she could think of, which were Amy and Sandy. And Amy in particular is because Carter was in office when I was born, and they thought that Amy Carter was like the cutest little girl. You're named after Amy Carter. That is precious. (laughs) That is a fact. 
you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach, nothing by the pool. Walking kind of nowhere and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia. Made to travel.